Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Guy. Good evening, Hui, and Brian Schmidt. Good evening, gentlemen. You said term loosely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, especially Ooh. around Hui. Ooh. So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we do have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. I'd also like to say a big thank you and hello to our newest patrons, Daniel Held, Eli Katz, and Dan Killen. Thanks. Thanks, guys. I mean, it's pretty awesome. And uh, we sincerely hope that everybody out there will give us uh, your support. Stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. So we're going to get right into it. Brian, you're going to the first first question this time. All right. We're going to open up with a question from Joe Leonetti. And Joe says, gentlemen, I very much look forward to each episode. I primarily work with hand tools making traditional furniture. One of the few machines I own is a Powermatic 15-inch bandsaw. Guy's positive review of it sealed my decision, and I'm very happy with it fantastic bandsaw. I mostly use it for long straight cuts and keep a Laguna three quarter inch carbide tip blade in it. On the occasions I need to make curve cuts, I hate to change out the blades. Call me lazy. All right, Joe, you're lazy. (laughs) I'd like to get another tool for this, for the curve cuts, other than doing it by hand. It could be a smaller bandsaw with a thin blade, the DeWalt DW788 scroll saw, or maybe something else. Mostly cutting four-quarter stock, but on occasion, eight-quarter stock. What would you get and why? I also own a Makita corded jigsaw. Many thanks and keep up the great work. Sincerely, Joe Leonetti. Um, Joe, to do those curved cuts, I would consider going the smaller bandsaw route. I'm not aware of the scroll saw being able to handle like eight-quarter stock. Maybe, maybe it could. I suppose I'm not entirely sure there, but um, based on the type of woodworking, it sounds like you do. I like the idea of going with a, you know, a, a tent, maybe a 10 inch bandsaw or even a, a smaller 14 inch bandsaw, something you could put a, you know, a quarter, quarter inch or three sixteenths blade in um, mm. to handle, to handle the type of curve cuts you're doing from there. You can take it over to either finish, finish by hand, or if you're going to, if you've got templates that you're going to use and template route, you know, those curves, um, take it over to the router table and, and clean it up that way. Uh, so I'd go the smaller bandsaw route. We, what would you do? I would also go the smaller bandsaw route. I actually have a scroll saw and I was trying to make some cuts with the scroll saw on some, well, it was relief cuts. Uh, so it was like five quarter material, and uh, it, it, it struggled a bit. And when I, it did the job, it just was very slow going because it's a very precise tool, I would say, more so than a bandsaw, although you can get very precise cuts with a bandsaw. Uh, so ultimately, I, I just kind of struggled with the speed at which the scroll saw was cutting. So I went with the bandsaw and I, fl- I switched out the blade to a quarter inch blade on my bandsaw. Um, Guy, have you, do you own a scroll saw? Do you, have you used one? Yes. Okay. I have, I used to own one many years ago. Um, 
I'm going to agree with you guys and say the smaller bandsaw. I had a 10-inch um, <laughs> 10-inch Rikon that I had for years that uh, I got from Mike Fulton at uh, MF Woodshop on YouTube. And actually, I just sold it to Brian. Yes, sir. So, um, right yeah, he's, he's got it. Unfortunately, he put a, a Clemson Tigers thing on it. But we'll talk about that later. So <laughs> that's what I used to cut. I used to keep an eighth-inch blade on it. It mm. would break a lot, so I always bought like three or four blades at a time. <laughs> um, but that worked really well for doing curve cuts. And most. And then I got, then I got a CNC machine. So. Yeah. I did a lot with on the CNC machine. I still use the CNC to, to, to make a lot of templates and do a lot of curve stuff. Sure. Um, that's a good tool to have just period. And it'll do stuff like that. But uh, I gave up my, my 10 inch bandsaw just cause I needed the space. Yeah. And it's a good way to go. The, the scroll saw, it will cut a quarter material if you have a couple days to do it. It takes a long time, yeah. Um, yeah, and I I use my jigsaw. I've used a jigsaw. It was probably one of the first tools I ever started using. You know, when I was knee high to a frog, and um, I'd like to say I'm pretty good with a with a jigsaw. I can cut just about any any shape or anything with it. it just mm-hmm. depends on what blade you use. And I've got a, a fast tool jigsaw, and that thing is just awesome. Yeah, the Carvex. Is it yep. the Carvex or the yep. Tryon or Tryon, whatever? Uh, whatever the hell it is. It's a Festival Jigsaw, and it's just awesome. So that's a, that's another way to go. So now now the Jigsaw is probably going to be ideal for like things, bigger things, right, so that you bring the tool too. But for things that are smaller, it might be difficult to get the kind of proper work holding for a Jigsaw, in which case – probably the smaller bandsaw or the scroll saw would be better in that situation. Yeah. yeah. I know at work I've had to make, um, you know, like jigs for curved parts and things like that. And I mm-hmm. just cut them out on the jigsaw. Okay. That's my dog. Sorry. Abby. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just cut the stuff out on a jigsaw and I'd take a file or a rasp to it and smooth it out and sure. get it to the line. And it, it always works out. It's a little bit more work. But it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably good for an intermediary. Yeah. So I think we're gonna go over to Hui now. Yep. So this is from Eric Brown. He says, Great podcast, guys. I really appreciate how you guys answer questions based on your individual experiences. I like hearing three or four different ways to perform a task using a variety of tools. My question my current home has half inch particle board drawers. And I'm replacing them. What would you recommend for drawer box construction concerning material thickness, drawer bottom thickness, and finish? Thanks. All right. So great question. Um, there are a couple of things that you can do. I'm going to name one way to do it, uh, one one thing to do. Uh, and I think it's maybe the easiest thing to do. Um, if you are replacing these drawers, these particle board drawers for uh, drawer boxes in your house. Uh, what you can do is you can get UV pre-finished drawer material that is plywood, but that it is veneered on all faces, and then it has U- a UV 
polyurethane coating or some type of uh, conversion varnish coating on it. That is very quick. The only downside to that is that they come in pre, um, uh, pre-prescribed uh, heights, right, to make the, the drawer height. Uh, so it's like a four inch, six inch, eight inch, 10 inch. And I think the biggest one that my local um, uh, engineered plywood uh, distributor has is 12 inch. Uh, so the downside to that is that they are, like I said, they're they're pre-prescribed sizes that you can get. The, the added, to, added side to that is that you just cut them to length and they already have a little uh, groove in or is it a groove? Yeah, whatever. A groove in there to fit the drawer bottom. Um, there are a couple of questions here, so let's go uh, to to you guys. What would you make your drawers out of? What's another option that you think would work, um, Brian? Um, I w- I was actually going to mention something similar. We but I was actually going to start with a full sheet of UV two sided plywood. Okay, um, you're saying that you can get the just the four six eight ten twelve inch wide strips of it from Correct. your local lumber okay i've never yeah. heard of that or i've never i've never seen that offered that's yeah, you can get nice it rockler it woodcraft a rockler yeah, it, has. It, yeah yeah and and it, it it is half inch thickness by the way sorry yeah, didn't yeah. mean to interrupt go ahead is it is it a do you know is it a true half or is it a, is it a plywood half i think it's a plywood half i'm yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive that it's like a plywood half so it's when I, and of course, when I, when I say plywood half, you know, that half inch plywood doesn't actually come at a full half inch thickness. It comes in, you know, something like seven sixteenths or somewhere, somewhere around there yeah. usually. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's um, actually 12 millimeters. Yes. Yes. 12 millimeter. Thank you. Thank you guys. Not half inch. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. We, we call it half inch because yeah, we're, we call it half you know, inch. in America. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I would, I would. I was going to suggest getting that if depending, depending on your use case, um, mm-hmm. Eric, you didn't, you didn't describe if you're looking to just freshen up the drawers or if you're going to change, you know, to, to be able to carry maybe a heavier load. Um, you know, if that's the case, you might be able to even go up to a, uh, you know, anywhere up to a three quarter inch, uh, thick, although that that's probably a little overkill if you're just doing uh, kitchen cabinetry, yeah. Um, if you're going to replace you? your if if you're going to replace your drawer slides, you know that gives you some mm. flexibility. Then, like if I'm guessing, if you have particle particle board drawer boxes uh, to begin with, you probably have uh, a lower cost drawer slide. And if you're going to, you know, replace the box and maybe upgrade to soft close full extension drawer slides or something like that, um, you start to get some flexibility for for how you want to size, size the drawer and, and set it up. Um, Guy, what do, what do you think? Well, I, I, one thing it doesn't really say here is if he's looking to, to rebuild them with, you know, make like a high quality drawer with dovetails and all that other stuff. So putting all that aside, if it was me and I just want to replace all the, the, really low level drawers that may be in, let's say in a, in a vanity or a kitchen cabinet or something like that. Mm-hmm. I would always use soft maple instead of plywood. That's okay. just me. Okay. I'd go with soft maple. I'd mill it down to half or five eighths of an inch because that makes the math really easy when you're doing the 
undermount under coral slides. slides yeah. So um, you can do that, or you can do, uh, you know, the, the side mount drawer slides. But if, if these are particle boards, they're probably the, the epoxy European style Mm-hmm. slides which are you know go on the bottom which aren't bad if they're if they're put in correctly they're really not that bad they're just not full extension they don't right. self-close or anything like that mm-hmm. so you can make a, a drawer box really quick you know any height you want just yep. mill the lumber up put a groove in it then cut it put the groove in before you cut it to size and pocket hole it together yeah. Because then you're going to put a false front over the top of it anyways. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever going to see the pocket screws. And it's really super fast and it works really well and it makes a really strong drawer. Yeah. Um, yep. Much stronger and faster than dovetails. Um, Agreed. Well, so I, 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 that's, that's maybe not stronger, but, but definitely faster. Oh, I think they're stronger. You think um, they're Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've had too many drawers with dovetails fall apart on me. So, really? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Fair, fair. Um, um, so, so, so you talked about construction there, a couple of other options. I know that my shop drawers are put together with staples. They're my shop. Uh, I've also done the, the, the tongue. What, what, what do you call it? It's kind of like a half. It's not a half lap, but it's whatever that's called. It's a, a lock, uh, a lock, a lock, ra- lock rabbit, lock rabbit. Yeah, something like something that. like that. Yeah, real pain in the butt to make. It is, <laughs> but I, I have done that in my shop as well. Uh, I did that in my shop first, and I was like, that is way too much work to do. I'm using staples. Um, but the problem with staples is that you see it on the side, and sometimes you can get a little splintering when you're using staples yeah. on the end grain if you're using plywood, or even if you're using uh, uh, maple. Uh, uh, Brian, what what do you think about construction? What do you what would you do if if this was your kitchen cabinet or vanity that you're redoing some yeah. really cheap old drawers? Uh, you said if I was making like really nice drawers, or if I was just making making an upgraded upgraded drawer, but functional. I'm a functional builder, so I, I would go functional. Yeah, I'm definitely not not dovetailing or anything like that. I I would do the pocket hole screws as well. And okay. by what you said, and it just to reinforce this point, because this is something that first couple times I did this, I don't know that I paid attention to it. And I think mm-hmm. I ended up getting lucky, but um, you should always make sure that that your sides to your drawer box, the ones that run from the front to the back, run the full length of front to back. And that the, the part of your drawer box that's going to get the pocket hole drilled into it is on the piece that's running, you know, left to right for the front and left to right to the back. And that yeah. way that screw is running across. Um, so as you're exerting force, you know, out of the drawer as you're pulling it open, um, yeah. you're not pulling the screw out. Yeah. Uh, and it's it also allow, it also allows you to hide the pocket hole screws because it'll be on the back and they'll be on the front and covered by a, a drawer, drawer face. Yeah. From a from a finish standpoint, I if you're if you're gonna finish it yourself, you could just spray lacquer for that, right, guys? Yeah, I would I would probably go the spray lacquer route. Um, if you don't have a spray system, um, I mean, I guess you could do like poly or shellac. It just seems like maybe a little bit more work than 
I don't know. It, it, at some point, yes, it might be cheaper to do that, like a wipe on poly or even a, a you know a spreadable poly, a brush on poly or shellac. It probably would you know cost less, but I think it would take a little bit more time to do. So maybe maybe like a spray lacquer, like a rattle can spray lacquer. You're talking about? Yeah, depends on how many drawers there are. Yeah. I, I I I would use shellac. Shellac. Yeah. Um, Always. So his last lack is always good choice. It is. It is. Um, and it doesn't stink. Right. Cause I, I think somebody actually uh, wrote in a question about, I was like, yeah, I made these drawers and it doesn't matter how often I've let them air out. They still stink. Yep. Shellac won't do that. Uh, drawer bottom thickness. I go with a quarter inch and you can buy drawer bottom material. That's already UV protected on the inside, but the outside or the drawer bottom is not. Um, what about you guys? What do you think? How about you guy? UV one quarter inch ply. UV one quarter inch ply. Yep. And I can't, Brian? can't, I can't argue with it. I do the same. I, I know that makes sense. That makes for boring podcast content, but I gotta uh, agree with both of you guys. But sometimes, you know, it is what it is. is. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, guy, you got the next one, man. All right. This comes from Josh Morin. It says, hello. We, Guy, and Brian, my question today is about quoting pricing for inconvenience. What I mean by that is, if a client comes to you with a request that you aren't really excited about, does that affect how much you quote? Do you ever give them a high quote in the hopes they say no, but high enough that if they say yes, it offsets any frustrations you expect to have while building? Well, and he's also waiting for me to say specificity again. Specificity. <laughs> Joshua. Ooh. So, yes, I have done that quite a few times. Yeah. There's stuff that I just don't want to build. And I used to have a hard time saying no to people. It's like, no, I don't want to do it. I would just say, okay, yeah, it's going to be $14 million and just help, hopefully they, they went away. Uh, yep. Then I got stuck a couple times. Doing <laughs> they stuff actually I, said yes. I, yeah, they actually said yes, which is fine. But um, bottom line is now I just look if I, you know, I'm, I'm not in that business anymore, but if I was and somebody came to me and said, you know, can you do this? I, I try to stay in my lane. Mm -hmm. I don't want to try to be everything to everybody. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. And if I'm not good at something, I don't want to do it. I'll just say no. I, I That's not what I do. Right. Um, you know, for example, somebody comes to me and says they want me to make a chair for them. Nope. Sorry. Don't do it. Don't make chairs. I'm not going to there. learn stuff. I'm not going to buy new tools. I'm not going to go through all the aggravation. I just don't want to do it. Yeah. Right on. So, um, Brian? Yeah. The answer, what do you do? Do you say no or do you give them high prices? Uh, both. I mean, both, but let's, let's play out a scenario here. So client comes and says, Hey, I have this project. It's, it's in the wheelhouse of, of what I do. And the problem is, is they live 40 minutes away. So, yeah, I can make sure I charge enough for the travel time, but yeah. there's also that inconvenience of I'd much rather 
serve a client, you know, with a built-in cabinet five minutes from my house, then 40 minutes from my house. So sure, I'm going to get paid for that drive time, but I know there's going to be times where I'm going to get to the, get to the client site and realize that I left something that I need back at the house or, um, you know, it, it, the drive time then results in less available on-site work time on any given day. And yeah, again, you can, you can calculate all that and price for that, but there's still a mental fatigue that, that comes with that, knowing that it's there. And therefore, what, what are you, are you, are you talking about? Like you have to go install it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cause most yeah. of the, like the built-ins and cabinetry that, that I do is it's all installed work. So yeah. I'll build everything in my shop, but I've got, I've got a solid day on site usually plus the time to, to, for initial design consultation on site, um, detailed measurements once we're ready to, to get ready to get started. I mean, all of that is, um, inconvenient and therefore drives up, you know, price, um, beyond, beyond just what the, you know, the drive time and, and all that goes into that. So yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely, you know, charge more knowing that it's going to be a bit of an irritation to, to have to do that, but at least, at least I'll know I'm getting paid for, for that inconvenience or sort of the, you know, the less desirable, uh, work condition than, than if I was serving somebody closer to home. So, yeah. What about you, Hui? What do you do? So I have totally overpriced things. Um, in mo- in most cases, that ends up being that I, I don't get a call back or they don't respond, which is great. That's exactly what I wanted to happen. Um, the problem with that is, like you said, sometimes people are like, Oh, okay. And I'm like, dang it. What did I do there? Did I not price it properly for them to say no? Um, and and I, and that has bit me one time. It bit me in the rear end one time. Uh, that won't happen again. So now, Brian, is his name Brian? No, his name's Joshua. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking to me. I was like, what did I do yeah. wrong? <laughs> <laughs> what I do now is two things. One, I, I like like Guy said, I stay in my lane, but I don't just say, hey, that's not in my wheelhouse, but I say, hey, it's not in my wheelhouse, but here are a couple of guys that do built-ins. Why don't yeah. you check them out? Yeah. The other thing that I do is I say, and this is oftentimes absolutely the truth, if it's something that I wouldn't mind doing, but it's just like, I'm just, you know, I, I'll do it for you, but I, I got to do it next year. And I'll say, hey, I'm not available until... March of 2024. If that's cool with you, then maybe we can go to the next level and price this out. But if that's not cool with you, here are some other names of people that you might yeah. want to check out. That's that's a good point. I always try to give them an option. One of the things I get asked more than anything else, and I still get asked to this day is, I've got this old piece of furniture. I want it refinished. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. I'm not. Yeah. That is like a totally different skill set. That's like asking me to build them a bathtub. Mm-hmm. I just don't do it. And right. it's a, that is a, a completely different skills. And I, I get asked that question all the time. Well, you build furniture, don't you? Yes. Well, you can refinish it. No. It's a different, different animal. I'm yeah. not going to do it. I'm just, yeah. I just refuse to. Yep. Yep. Um, anyways. Yeah. So we're, we're going to move along. Back to Brian. Oh, back to me. Yep. All right. What, what, you forgot the order, Brian? 
Maybe a little bit. Maybe caught me off guard a little bit. That's all right. Because I am I am a hundred percent ready for this question from Tim Deal. And Tim <laughs> says, having two friends recently experienced serious injuries using their table saw, I'm continuing to do more ripping using my bandsaw for safety's sake. Uh, me and my two injured friends are in our seventies, not as quick in our reactions, as good in our judgments or as great a dexterity as when we were younger. Uh, Tim is, says he's fortunate to have two bandsaws, one on which he keeps a half inch blade for purpose of resawing and ripping, which works well. The issue is the rough edge left by the bandsaw versus the smooth glueable edge that the table saw produces. What's the best way to address this? I've heard mention of using a jointer after ripping. Does this not introduce uncertainty as to the final width of the piece just ripped? For example, if I wanted a piece 10 inches wide and ripped it to 10 and a 16th, I'd have to have my joiner set to remove exactly 1 16th, which even if I accomplish that setting, may be hard to achieve and also get a perfect 90 degree edge. As an aside, I'm still considering selling my Powermatic getting a saw stop in the interest of increased safety and not dying. Well, <laughs> I added the not dying part. Well, um, some people might scoff at that idea. I don't care. Teach his own. Both of my fr- two friends' injuries were ugly, debilitating, and expensive. Thanks, Tim. So, so Tim is using a bandsaw to rip stock to width, and he's wondering how does he get a smooth glue ready edge um, like you might get off of the table saw. Um, One option might be uh, to hand plane it, which, you know, if you're in your seventies and describing that you're maybe not as quick in your reaction or have as great a dexterity, maybe, maybe doing that much hand planing isn't all that attractive, but I'll throw it out there as an option. The other is, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to this idea of using the joiner to try to, to try to clean that edge. I mean, you know, is there going to be, might you end up a 32nd of 32nd of an inch off, you know, on one end of the board versus the other? I mean, depending on your use case, it's likely going to be close enough. Um, mm. And yeah, so I would, so Tim, I would actually, I would actually subscribe to the idea that you can do that using the joiner and that, you know, it's not necessary uh, or that, um, that you can't get away with it that way. Uh, we, what do you think? So uh, I often do this. Um, I often go to the joiner after ripping, uh, say like a cup or um, a bow out of an, uh, out of a board. If I'm making say like a tabletop, but see, in, in that situation, in that use case, when I'm making a tabletop, I really don't care if it's exactly 10 inches or 10 and a quarter inches or 10 and a 16th, because ultimately I'm glue edge gluing these things together to make a final width anyway, in which case I might be using a track saw or whatnot to clean up the edge to final thickness or final width, excuse me, uh, in terms of the dimension for the tabletop. In terms of the situation that... that uh, what's his name? Tim. Tim. I'm sorry. I, I guess I should pay attention to one question. <laughs> I'm ratting on you, uh, Brian. Uh, in, in the case of, or situation with Tim, I would say before you get rid of your Powermatic, and if you're concerned about uh, safety with 
the table saw. The number one issue that you're going to have with the table saw is kickback. And that's probably where most of your injuries are going to occur. Now, with your friends, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but that might not be the case with them. But for the most part, most injuries are going to come from kickback. I highly, highly recommend some type of feather board or work holding situation for when you're ripping long boards. And in this case, what I use are the Jessam clear cut stock guides. And they're wonderful. They work really, really great. I think you'll like them a lot. Yes, they are a hundred bucks. Yes, they are kind of price. I don't know how much they are now. I got them for a hundred, but they are kind of pricey for for what they are. But if if you are concerned about safety, I would say do that before spending you know some coin on a saw stop. Anyway, guy, what what do you what do you think? Yeah, I, I really like the idea of, of the uh, the Jessam guides. I have a pair of those, and those are just awesome. Yeah, they're really nice. The thing is, I mean, if if you're ripping on the bandsaw, most of the time I'm ripping stuff on the bandsaw, it's because I don't want to spend 15, 20 passes on the joiner to get a straight edge. Yes. And the board's got a crook in it. So I just mark a line on it with with a magic marker and rip it and give it one or two passes over the joiner and I'm done. And it's exactly like we said. Most of the time, I really don't care how specifically wide it is, just as long as it's somewhere between, you know, six and eight inches. I'm pretty good with that. Um, the other thing is, so let's say you're not, you're, you're getting a board. Let's say you're making drawers and the drawers have to be exactly three and a half inches wide. Yes. The problem with ripping it on the bandsaw and then going over to the jointer and running across that, it, it's not going to be the the best way to get a parallel edge yep. to the other edge. Yep. Yes. That's one thing you're never going to get with a jointer. Um, it just doesn't work that way. When you're when you're doing surface four sides, you know you start with the face joining to start as your reference face. You put that up against the fence, and then you edge joint. Now you've got a, a, a reference face and a perpendicular edge. You put that reference face down on a thickness planer. You run through the thickness, thickness planer. Now your surface three sides because you just made a parallel face mm-hmm. to the other face. And then you go over to the table saw and you rip the final length. Right. And that's cool. parallel with the jointed edge. So that's surface four sides or square four sides. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do that with a bandsaw right. and a joiner. It's just not really going to happen. I'm sure you could do it. It's just not worth the effort. Um, It's not repeatable and reliable. Yeah. It's not, it's not repeatable. But then again, in most cases, when I, when I have plans to, to let's say, you know, or, or to make something, even, even at work, if it says it's gotta be, we have a, we have a eighth inch play and everything we do at work. Mm -hmm. So if it's supposed to be, you know, 30 inches, if it's 30 and an eighth, or 29 and 7 eighths, that's perfectly acceptable. It falls within our, our uh, rubric of the, of the size. So most of the time when I'm cutting stuff, I'm more concerned about having you know specific parts that are equal to one another. They all have to be the same size. If they're off yeah. by a 16th of an inch, I really don't care. It's right. not a big deal. As long as you know, I'm trying to cut something at 30 inches, okay, and it's 30 and a 16th, okay. Just as long as the other, other pieces that are going with it are 30 and a 16th too. That's right. what's important. 
So those are just things to remember. That's all I can say. Yeah. So, so just to touch on something that you did mention, Guy. So in situations where he has, okay, so let's say, for instance, drawer sides, front, uh, fronts and backs. If they have to be exactly three and a half inches, and if they are drawer materials, what you can do to get that parallel edge is to, after you go on the bandsaw to rip material, is to gang up that material and run it through the planer. Wouldn't mm. that be a perfectly good situation? I've never tried that. I don't know how viable it is ganging yeah. up a bunch of stuff and running it through the, the thickness planer on edge like that. I don't know. I've run, I've, run, I've, I've run inch and a half thick or two inch stock on edge through the thickness planer, but nothing. I've never tried ganging up anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the issue would be that it's, it, it would be too tippy in the band, in the planer. I don't, bit. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I just, I don't think I, I've ever tried. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I, I do that all the time. <laughs> do, do you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Whether or not it's a good idea or not, I don't know. It's I don't never, know. I've just never tried it. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't backfired. I mean, I get I get snipe on both ends of it, which you know, when it's on. How do you how like, do you yeah. gang it up? How do you Well, I mean, I guess I'll I'll go up to maybe four inches wide, four and a half inches wide. And as long as the piece is at least I repeat, do not do not do this at home. <laughs> as long as the piece is at least seven eighths wide. If I just I mean I'll just it, right if I've already got one edge ninety, then I'm gonna I mean, in theory, they're going to sit square to each other and I'm going to just set them right next to each other and they're going to hug each other as they go right through. I mean, I'm not, I'm not taping them together on, on the, on the ends or, you know, certainly not, you know, throwing a clamp on the ends. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. That was just really bad. I I don't know of of any safety issues with doing it. It's just something I've never seen or heard of before. Yeah. So if I'm feeling lazy about, so a good example would be if I've got like a four and a half or four and an eighth, um, four and a quarter, you know, somewhere in that range for like the bottom, uh, would that be the rail of a face frame? Mm-hmm. on a cabinet and I've got all this stock that I've ripped to width on my table saw and I've got that table saw cut edge on there. I'm like, man, I really don't feel like sanding this out. So I'll just gang them up and run them right through the planer on edge. And it cleans so it I, I do the same. Yeah. Cleans it, cleans it up for quite nice. material for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, for, for rails and styles for doors, I've done that. Yeah. You know, like a inch and a half. Yeah inch wide and three quarter inch thick yeah what i would not do is i would not take a you know a three quarter inch wide six or three quarter inch thick six inch wide board and run one of those through on edge that yeah yeah that i would not do but right right right. there's strength in numbers so Mm -hmm. all right uh whose question was that that was that was my question so now it's back to we what do we do? We forget the order all of a sudden. You, all right, threw you guys off. I threw you off. <laughs> so this is uh, from Terry Waro. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I'm sorry, Terry, if I'm uh, mispronouncing your name. So greetings, gentlemen. Again, use that term loosely. Uh, thank you for continuing <laughs> your podcast into 2023. It's very informative, but in a relaxed and casual format. Also, a welcome to Brian. Sean was a longtime co-host and will be missed, but Brian, you slipped right into the slot with ease and 
are doing a great job. My Thanks, question sir. today is about planing. I'm making a four foot by six foot tabletop out of true one and an eighth inch quarter inch thick. That was redundant. One and an eighth inch thick by six inch wide rough cut white oak. When dressing down the wood, I plan on joining one surface, then planing the other surface parallel. Finish thickness, I think, will be between three quarters of an inch and seven eighths of an inch. Here's my question. How important is it to take an equal amount off on each side? Can I just joint one surface and plane the opposite down to my finished thickness, or do I have to try to take an equal amount off on both sides? If it matters, the lumber is kiln dried down to 7%. Terry W. So, Terry, the answer to that is yes and no. So, yes, it is important to take an equal amount on both sides. But no, you don't really need to be all that concerned about it. And here's why. So, let's say you've got a material with a cup in it. And it's a cup all the way down the board, right? And let's say you surface that cup down so that it's flat until you finally get that cup off and it, it lays flat on your joiner bed. Let's say you removed an eighth, of uh, an eighth of that material off. Now you go to your planer and you flip that board and you put that jointed face down on the planer bed. And you're planing that material down until you get it flat on the top and parallel to that bottom. Well, guess what? You removed probably about an eighth of, a, of an inch of material and you didn't even know it, right? Because, well, you took that cup out, that the material, just the way it is, is uh, the, the board has an eighth inch cup. So the center of that board in some way just basically raises up from being flat about an eighth of an inch. Well, the two sides are also bowed down lower than the top center during that uh, along that concave section when you're running it through the planer. So inadvertently, by just getting that material flat on the face and then uh, flipping it and running it through the planer so that it's basically flat and parallel on the top side, you've removed about an equal amount of material on both of those faces. Now the question is, let's say that material is a little over 7 eighths of an inch and you want to take it down to 7 eighths of an inch. In that case, I might flip it over on each side as I'm running it through each pass to take an equal amount until I get to my final thickness. That's what I do. Um, that's how I play it. Uh, and, and it seems to work well with me, for me in terms of making sure that I don't get uh, an uneven amount of material removed on either side to therefore create uh, some type of uh, unneeded stress or, or uneven removal of material and, and inadvertently create another cup in my material. Uh, Brian, how do you go about doing this like uh do you do you, do you really really no i took three passes on the joiner now i need to take three passes on the planer or do you kind of do it like i do or do you have your own method um i strive for even steven uh, you know it's an inexact science but yeah certainly the goal is to try to remove an equal amount off of each face of the board just to to prevent unnecessary wood movement Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had a project recently where I was taking some, uh, four quarter ash and I was taking it down to just under three quarter inch finished thickness. And it was pretty, I mean, they were small enough pieces that it was pretty flat, um, off the rough board. So really didn't have to do a whole lot of face joining. 
And when I took those boards over to the planer, you know, I've got my jointed face down. So my first pass is going mm-hmm. to be planing, you know, the, the un, untreated side of it. So now I've already kind of reached equal. And then every time a board goes through and I pull it back off, I flip it end over end so I can mm-hmm. send it back through the other way. And I just keep doing that. And that practice of, you know, every time it's coming back after being planed, I'm flipping it end over end helps me make sure that I'm taking, you know, equal amount or, you know, as close to equal number of passes as possible uh, so that I take an equal amount off each side. Yeah. I like that. Even Steven. Even. I mean, it's a, it's good to strive for. I mean, it's a bit of an imperfect science, especially if you have a board that's got some, some twist or some cup to it. Um, Yeah. Guy, what about you? How do you, how do you, do you subscribe to the uh, even Steven methodology, as I've just now coined it. Um, sure, why not? Uh, I, I've I've been <laughs> buying whatever. Uh, I've been buying um, rough cut lumber for many, 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 many years, and I usually buy four quarter, five quarter, which is you know either one in a, in its rough state. It's usually four quarters, usually about an inch and an eighth between mm-hmm. an inch and an inch and an eighth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always got one face just flat enough where it'll support, you know, the whole board going through the planer. Yeah. I don't like get it totally and completely flat all the way across. It may have a little bit of, you know, fuzz in the middle. Yeah. don't really care about that. I'm more concerned about having it on the sides. So I'll give it one or two passes on the doing face joining and then I go right over to the thickness planer from there. Mm, okay. And then I'll run it through. And my machines and the ones at work, but like my machines at home, they all have uh, segmented cutter heads. Yeah. So I don't care about flipping it end for end or any of that stuff. I don't even look at wood grain anymore, which direction it's going. I And I do try to take off an even amount. I don't know if I'd call it an even amount of material. Mm-hmm. but I flip yeah. every time. Sure. So, and if one side's I'm taking off more than the other, I really don't care. But what, what you're trying to really accomplish by that is, you know, when you, you start milling these boards, they hold moisture. And if you take all the material off of one side and not the other side, you take more material off one side than you do on the other side, it's going to release moisture differently on that side than the other side. So that's the theory anyways. And I'm sure some people out there will, will disagree with me on that. But you can, if you, if you, it's very simple to help try to mitigate that, that mm-hmm. cupping and, and bowing yeah. is all. So right. yeah, it's good practice to do that. Yeah. yeah. And for, for those of us peasants that have a straight knife uh, oh. planers, <laughs> uh, the end, end over end also helps make sure that you're consistently running it through with the correct uh, grain direction, grain, grain direction orientation yeah. Yeah. to prevent yep. unnecessary tear out. So, yeah. so sure. the, 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 from working class here. Yeah. So for <laughs> everybody else, except Ryan, um, that has segmented cutters, you don't have to really worry about that. Um, I've, I've got a class coming up next week where I'll be teaching a bunch of guys that I don't think I've ever worked wood before and yeah. grain direction won't even come into the discussion. 
You, do you Personal guys have segmented point. cutter heads on all, oh, yeah. on all your teams? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it, it doesn't matter. It's just I, I, I'm more concerned about them not putting sapwood, you know, that board that's got half sapwood uh, walnut right next to another board that's solid, and it just got this big streak and a straight <laughs> line through it. This just looks like hell. I'm more worried about, you know, look at the aesthetics of it rather than worry about grain direction. Sure. Sure. So that's, that's more important. I think All right, guy, you got the last question, man. I do. Yep. Uh, this comes from Matt Hayes. And this is kind of a relevant questions. I I've, I've been asked this question many, many times. I don't think we've ever really covered it on the show. He says, anyways, Hey fellas, I have a question about the domino DF 500 and DF 700. What rule of thumb do you use? Rule of rules of thumb do you use for when to use the seven hundred instead of the five hundred when it's not an obvious situation? Other than the thirds of the stock thickness, we'll talk about the rule of thirds in a second. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all your different points of view on how to tackle situations we find ourselves in, Matt in Alabama. Yep. Oh, and and Matt did send a message on Patreon. Patreon. Anyway, he did send us a message. Yeah. He has the 500, but he has access to a, a 700. 700. Yeah. Here's here's my rule of thumb. I use the Domino DF 500 for everything. You know why? Why? Because I don't have a 700. <laughs> That's a good reason. That yeah, it's a really good, good reason. reason. The yeah. 700. If you are this is just me. It's just my opinion. It doesn't doesn't really mean anything. But unless you're building like big doors, not like cabinet doors, but like entryway doors. Yes, yes. Yeah. Or you're building really large tables and you don't want, you know, you're in a production environment like we are at work. That's the only time you need a DF700. Yep. The 500 will do Everything you need it to do, it does, you know, it does up to eight millimeter wide dominoes or thick dominoes. I think it'll no, do 10 up, millimeter, it'll 10 do millimeter. up to 10. Yeah. It'll do up to yeah. 10 millimeter dominoes at 40, 40 millimeters at 25 inches deep on each side, up to 50 uh, 25 millimeters. millimeters deep. Yeah. On each side. Yeah, yeah. So it's up to 50 millimeters. That's a big tenon, especially when you yeah. group those together. For small tables, side tables, end tables, stuff like that, it's more than enough. It'll replace Mm -hmm. a mortise and tenon joint. Me, if I'm doing a big table, which I've done Mm -hmm. a bunch of, I do mortise and tenon anyways at that point. Sure, sure. So uh, that's that's my take on it. The only time I I have never wanted for a DF700 in my shop. Mm -hmm. I've never had a need for it. Mm -hmm. So I've never even considered buying one. That's my rule of thumb. Well, he's talking about the rule, the rule of thirds, real quick too. So, if you've got a board that's, you know, a, a domino, they go four, five, six, eight, and ten. Um, so, if you've got a three-quarter inch board that's actually nineteen millimeters, so you would use like a, you could use a six-millimeter domino. It's a third of the thickness. It's got enough meat on each, uh, the, the same amount of meat on each side of it. So if you're using a three-quarter inch board and you're doing mortise and tenon work, you'd use a quarter inch mortise and tenon. Right, right. So 
That's what he's referring to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, have you, you've got a 500, I know. I've got a 500, yeah. Have you ever felt the need to have a 700? I have not, um, but that could just be based on the types of projects I'm doing. The 700, it's, I mean, I've seen it and it's really it big. It's big. I mean, it's big and, and can maybe be a little bit unwieldy if I had to guess. It weighs, no, online it says it weighs four pounds, four pounds more, which if I'm going to be handling a lot and, you know, some one-handed operation or at least one hand while maybe moving things around. Um, I really like the ergonomics of the, of the DF 500. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, like at work sometime we're building, yeah. you know, eight, eight conference tables, eight tables that are, you know, four yeah. feet wide, eight feet long, and they all have legs and aprons. we got to put all that stuff together. I mean, you, you're, 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 you're using yeah. that thing for, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And that so, is just, that's justified. Sure. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, there, right. There's some overlap in, in the size of uh, mortise that each of them cut. I mean, there's not a lot of overlap, but there are some size mortises that each of them are capable of doing and mm-hmm. all other things equal, you know, I, I'd, I'd rather the lightweight, but certainly yeah. if the, if the use case for it uh, suggests using the, the DF 700, then, um, you should use the DF seven hundred. Yeah, I, I guess I guess the way I should have phrased it is the only reason I can see buying a seven hundred is if I was doing production work. Sure, sure. If I'm building one thing at a time, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. So I am very unnecessary. I have both the five hundred and the seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're but also I, loaded. You've got all that I am government not. rocket scientists. I am not. So I bought the seven hundred because I was building a a a big 12 foot long conference table and I could have totally cut the uh, tenons on this trestle table by hand um, and it would have been fine, but I didn't want to do that. I justified purchasing the 700 and I, I, I did rule, I did roll that some of that pricing into, into the pricing the, of yeah, the conference. Table. Yeah. Um, so I do have it, but have you um, used it since? I've used it one other time because I made one other big table, but that's about it. I would say most of the situations I'm in, I gravitate to the 500 and for the pure reason that the 500 is just a much more uh, ergonomic, ergonomical tool for me. I'm a small guy. I'm five foot six, you know, 160 pounds. Right. So, so having that DF 700, that's a, big tool and for what i do most of what i do in my shop i'm gravitating to the 500 yeah 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 Yeah, we were talking before about drawers that's one thing i didn't mention i use the df 500 with the four millimeter dominoes all the time to make drawers yeah uh the other thing i use probably more than my domino is my biscuit joiner (laughs) yeah for drawers as well for for everything i'm still a big fan of biscuits yeah i I use them a lot um I wouldn't use them to, to join table legs to, to aprons, but for just about everything else, they work pretty darn well. Um, yeah. Anyways, I hope that helps a little bit. Um, so I think that's it for the questions, isn't it? Yep. All right. So what do you got going on in the shop, Brian? Other than your brand new bandsaw. 
Oh, wow. Other than my brand new uh, 10-inch Craftsman bandsaw. Thank you, Guy, for selling that to me. Got that all tuned up. Um, I finished my entryway table. I finished up a big client build, uh, I think, since we, we last recorded. So yeah. right now I'm in... Got that serpentine shelf on that client build, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, uh, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, ended up being... A little bit, a little bit bigger than I thought it was going to end up being project-wise, but happy to have it. Happy to have it done and it turned out well, and they love it. So, I'm getting yeah. ready to build uh, a set of three mirrors for our dining room, and mm. I'm going to be veneering. I bought some highly figured ash veneer from veneersupplies.com, mm-hmm. and I am going to be veneering that and creating some. Uh, 24 by 36 mirror frames for are you gonna uh, attach the veneer uh I, I was gonna ask you when i could come over and use your vacuum bag <laughs> <laughs> i actually have one of the the thin bags you know it's like yeah. eight or nine inches wide and they're yeah. real long they're okay. like eight feet right. long i mean my my, my plan has been to slowly and painfully with uh, clamping calls, just do them one, one board at a time. So, Oh, are you serious? You know what you could also do? Go to I, guy's house. You can, either yeah. you're, you're more welcome to come over and, and use my vacuum bag. Um, the heat lock. Heat hmm. lock. Okay. I'm gonna have to look into that. I'm not familiar with that yeah. product. That's the, the stuff you, you put down and then you use an iron and you just iron it on and it, it, the glue okay. works. Yeah. I've seen people yeah. use it on things that there's too large to fit in a vacuum bag. Mm. Or they didn't have a vacuum bag that big and they've done whole tabletops Ooh. with that stuff. Okay. But I know Sean, I know Sean was using it for a while too. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Heat lock or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Heat, better bond heat lock veneer glue. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So I'm 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 slow playing this project since it's for our house and it's really the only project I have going right now. So I'm gonna yeah. take it slow and enjoy it and no no real deadline for getting it done. So right. yeah. We what are you what are you working on in your shop? So I, I still have the China cabinet that I'm working on, but I just had to put a quick pause on that because my daughter's birthday party is this weekend, along with we are hosting a wedding shower the following weekend and my wife has said hey remember that entryway table that you said you were gonna build me he's like you better get that done before your daughter's birthday party because we're having guests over so uh, i am almost done with that i got the stain on i've got about four coats of wipe on poly so all i got to do is just one final sanding with four out steel wool and then maybe two more coats of wipe on poly and then final assembly. But that's what I have going on. The last two weeks, I've been working on that to just get that done and get my wife happy so that I can continue work on the China cabinet. Guy, how about you? Nothing. 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 You got a laser engraver. Yeah, I've had one for a long time. This is a new one I got. So Is this um, a new one? This is a new one, right? It's a different one, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, so just not, not much going on. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't really say. You're, you're getting into the, all this like automation, 3D printing stuff. You're you're like on another league now. Man. No, I don't know about that. But I just um, I have a couple projects. 
I think are going to be coming up here soon. So Ooh, right. we'll see. Okay. We'll see how that goes. So, all right. all right. So I think that's going to do it for the show. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course we appreciate the Spartan feedback. And please remember that this podcast is here to answer questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you have a question and you'd like it answered by our panel, just send it through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. And as always, I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube or just about any social media platform as Guy's Woodshop. Where can we be found at, Hui? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social are there. And Brian. You can find me at the football fields watching my kids play sports. And you can find me at simplecove.com at Brian Schmidt. Sorry, on simplecove.com's website at Brian Schmidt. No other uh, traditional social media. So, you know, I love how we, we, we continue to bring Sean back into the conversation. I love it. I love yeah. it. Founding yeah. father. He's always a part yeah. of this. Yep. All right. Yep. So that's going to do it. And uh, hey, we'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. All right. See you in a couple. Have a good night. See you, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye.